Hey, it's Mark. This week's series of mini episodes taped live at the health conference in Vegas continues with digital editor Jack O'Brien. Hi, I'm Jack O'Brien, digital editor at MM&M, and welcome to the MM&M podcast live from the health conference here in Las Vegas. My guest today is Jonathan Machado from Samsung Next. Jonathan, how are you doing today? I am good, my friend. How are you? I'm doing wonderful. I'm so glad you're able to join us on the podcast. And I guess to start off our conversation, we'll go real basic and broad. You know, what's the work that you're doing at Samsung Next? How is that tie in with what we're doing here at the health conference? Yes. So we are the VC arm of Samsung Electronics, a pretty sizable company. And our goal through investments in M&A is to help the mothership figure out its future. We believe our thesis, our pretty proven thesis, I think, is that the best people to talk about the future are not us, the VCs or consultants or really anybody besides the people that are actually building the future themselves, which are the founders, the builders. And so... We believe the best vehicle and the best service we can do for Samsung and at the same time for the entrepreneurs out there in the world is to give Samsung access to the entrepreneurs and vice versa through investments. Create this relationship, leverage this closer, probably closest relationship one can have to be a shareholder in a company for the benefit of both sides to benefit from each other's you know, advantages and cover their disadvantages. And I guess I'm curious what that looks like in terms of how you seek out different leaders or entrepreneurs or organizations. There has to be something that you look and you say, these have something in common or we see potential here. What goes into that sort of process? I mean, in this respect, we're not very different from other VCs. I think our, we have a few advan- built-in advantages to our model that, that allow us to operate in slightly different ways. Our LP, right, Samsung, I think top 15 companies in the world in terms of revenue is not like what, what, what we are expected to make good returns on our investment. We don't live or die by another 0.1% of performance or IRR. Um, however, a meaningful moonshot that could help guide you know, Samsung into a new 10 of billions of dollars in market, that could have an outsized return. In this respect, I think we are more aligned than potentially many other investors with our entrepreneurs. Because we don't view our investment, you know, for the, whatever, 20% discount on the safe. Like, we, it's not what we're here to do. We're here to help you build the most significant companies and ideally, ideally be able to plug Samsung in a way that would, first of all, enhance yours as an entrepreneur um, company. And in the process, of course, help Samsung as well. And so I think we've, we've managed to build a, a model also on in the investment side in, side in terms of the terms that we don't requ- require, the process, the way it's structured, the size of check uh, that is the friendliest, frictionless, I think, version of VC for entrepreneurs, which helps to align this philosophy of no conflict, fully aligned on the future and, you know, make something good of it. And are there any examples that you can think of that you're like, this is something where it follows that who you're talking to, where it's aligned in terms of mission, having a founder that has a vision, but also advances, you know, Samsung's position in the yes, healthcare market? A hundred percent. So Samsung, I don't want to talk about necessarily our competitors, but if you, if you think for a second about the players that you would associate us with, mm-hmm. right, you would see that in healthcare, most of these players are taking a pretty... I would say more verticalized, integrated approach. So they're getting, in a way, more competing with many of the startups here, with many of the providers potentially trying to 
take a more be closer to the patient in a sense right be part of the care itself while at samsung we're taking a very different approach i'll, I'll double click on that in a second number two historically speaking we have never been part of that uh call it taking people's data and monetizing it in ways that um other tech giants have and i think there are a few criteria when, when you evaluate a partner for healthcare and the readiness of the patient, the consumer, the way we call him or her, to play ball, trust is a key factor. So number one, I think we are very clean in that sense. We're not ambitious in the sense that we don't seek to replace you, the startup, the provider, as the face of that solution vis-a-vis um, the, the patient. And so what, and I'll get to this in a second, what we've been doing is looking how can our devices Right, our TVs, our tablets, our, our, our smartwatches, what role can they play in the healthcare market to do one of three things? Reduce cost, increase access, improve outcomes. And so the, the fact that we are by far the largest consumer electronic platform in the world gives us you know, a, 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 a right to play in every single household, practically in the Western world. Right? And so what we've done, and I'll give you a few examples, so from our tablets being used as a home hub, right? So a company of, of mine like LiveCare, they take these, these tablets, they put them in the person's home, and it becomes effectively like the, the window into the clinic, right? And so if you think of access for a second, the screens, they mean access. A company like Brave Health that goes after the Medicaid population in rural areas, going to a, a psychiatrist in some of these places could mean driving three to four hours, maybe a couple of days sometimes. And so putting a screen in those people's hands actually means in the most direct way giving them access to care. Now, if you're going to put an expensive iPhone in their hand or if you will take a less reliable device from some countries that the U.S. is less friendly with these days, that's also not going to happen. And so it leaves kind of a pretty big market share there for Samsung to come in and say, we could become this doorway into healthcare for many, many people. We have companies taking your watches for RPM purposes or for um, preventative care applications. So, and maybe it's kind of a tangent into another another point. Healthcare as a system, despite all the criticism, I think is good at taking care of sick people. A big part of what healthcare hasn't figured out is the ROI of preventing people from getting sick, right? And that's basically all of us at any given moment. And those healthy people, right, or at least you can kind of be sick, I guess, but have something else that you're pre, you know, unaware of another condition that's kind of luring um, and could happen at any moment, are the consumers of all the tech giants. And so the, the big question, I think, the big opportunity for us is how can we marry what the people, the world calls wellness, which really is another word for preventative care, treat it as such, and, and kind of combine it into one continuum of care in a way that is cost-effective. And that you cannot do with if you have to ship a device, a medical device to every person's home for like every possible condition. So it needs to be a platform that's cheap, that everybody has, and that can um, collect this relevant data without abusing this access to the data. And I think Samsung as an organization, we're very well positioned to take this um, role in the market.
It's so interesting to hear you talk about the potential for technology to be able to bridge these gaps, in some cases geographic gaps, to be able to provide care and you know fill in these access holes. I guess in a, in a broader macro sense, I'm curious your thoughts on the state of healthcare innovation and maybe what you've seen in the conference so far. I've seen a lot of offerings. We have the, the startup hub that's out there in the back with a lot of great ideas coming from all around the world. Has anything stood out to you in terms of maybe the ideas or themes or topics you've been seeing? Yeah, so... I think one thing maybe uh, I'm trying to to avoid my biases here and kind of where maybe I'm looking for stuff maybe doesn't exist. I, I think the reality right now because of the macroeconomic situation is that growth at all costs is a matter of the past, right? We know that. And margins are becoming a bigger topic for discussion in the sense that, okay, if we just take doctors instead of putting them in the clinic, we put them online but we haven't changed anything fundamentally to the way we provide care. The market multiples have shown us that there is no much value to capture at this point with this kind of play. That was great 10 years ago. The peak was maybe a couple of years back, maybe a year ago, and now it's fully crashed, right? So what I see more is focusing on access versus outcomes. And I think potentially that's more of me interpreting here than observing is the cheaper way to not innovate dramatically right with some crazy AI doing I don't know what advanced NLP to whatever Um, the cheaper way to innovate is through engagement so what technology has been traditionally way better than anything else in the world is to to capture an audience engage gamify and so forth and so all these te- technologies that are used for gaming, for ad tech, for whatever, if you can direct them for the right cause and you can increase engagement, still without reinventing how a specific modality or workflow is being given, if you have better engagement numbers, more people adhere to your medication, this creates better outcomes, this reduces costs, you create the ROI cycle. And so what I've seen uh, more and more is this focus on behavioral and engagement behavioral science, they call it, right? Whatever that means. Um, And number two is access. How can we get to more... And access doesn't necessarily have to mean geographic. It means diversity, right? Like, I think at the beginning of the conference, they showed a video of like maybe 4% of the mental health professionals speak Spanish, right? This is no match to the growing, you know, um, Latin population in the U.S. So how how do you match that? And so this lack of, of... effectively this creates lack of access and so i'm hearing when i kind of clean the noise i hear more access rather than anything else it's so interesting to hear you bring that up because obviously our audience are primarily medical marketers who interface with pharma and biotech companies and they talk about that as it relates to the need to diversify clinical trials and i think what you're touching on there is the same thing as it is to access to care that it has to be for different specialized patient populations and you're seeing companies taking that on in some sort of respect with their different business strategies. Yes, and I think that's an excellent point, and it again speaks to what I think is, is what, what our opportunity is. Think of the world before remote care, before decentralized clinical trials, when you want to um, recruit new patients for a trial. The only available patients for you are the ones that are go regularly to the doctor, you know, are, are educated enough and, and have the, you know, the, the means and, and, and the curiosity and everything and the time to look into these trials, apply, and then you know, potentially get recruited. But then you create very selective data sets, and we know the byproducts of these. 
in a platform like Samsung, when we have, you know, tens of millions, hundreds of millions of users across the world for devices, and specifically in the U.S., oftentimes correlating with a less better off population that might necessarily buy the most expensive Samsung or the most expensive iPhone, but they still don't want a quality device. So they probably have a Samsung. At which point, if we, and that's part of the, the, the efforts we have with our investments and with our development, if we can make them part of the healthcare game because we help them make their data available for these potential clinical trials, right? We now can bridge that gap too. And so that, but, but again, these people might not be able to drop everything in their lives, move to Utah for a random trial, right? So being able to, to get health served at home or wherever they are at any given moment, and without changing much to their speed of life, being able to get exposure to these potential benefits, that's huge. And it also it's huge from a business perspective for us. So a few years back when I made the choice to focus on healthcare on the investment side, I mean, I had my reasons, I think good ones including that, but I think as time goes by, it's really cool to be part of a market where the size of opportunity and, and our values um, are fully aligned and not have to give up just to make some money. So that's pretty awesome. It sounds like it is. And I, I was curious just your thoughts in terms of, again, our, our audience being medical marketers, what you see in terms of the marketing to maybe some of these marginalized populations or the, the outreach efforts. Is there room for improvement in your estimation in terms of maybe you made the point earlier that they're only about 4% um, Spanish-speaking uh, psychologists or, or clinical workers, we, we've seen the same thing in terms of like ads for different prescription drugs that they're just debuting ads that might be in Spanish, where it's like that should probably be a standard operating procedure. So I'm just curious what you make of that sort of marketing. Yeah. So I think, you know, if you'd ask uh, an executive in an um, airline company, are trains your competitors? He might say yes, he might say no. If he says no, he's probably wrong, because when you think of your competition, it's really whoever the consumer, the target, your target audience can replace. And when you're a marketer, you don't just compete against, I don't know, you're selling a CKD drug, you're not just um, going against the other CKD drug, but if I'm watching commercials, you're going against State Farm and you're going against Instacart as far as I'm concerned. And when you think of the technology landscape and how advanced personalization has become, every person opens their app, sees a different ad a different language, a different UI, a different everything. Some apps are built differently. Like when two people will download the app, they still think they're using the same app, but they're actually using a somewhat different, it could be subtle things, but there's a subtle thing that's gonna make one use it versus not use it. And so I think what I would say to these folks is like, look at your commercials and now play them back to back or like go to your, go to your population and watch TV in a bar when you can assume that the ads are more targeted and maybe look for the gaps there. That would be a good indication of whether, you know, you actually speak their language. And if it's get awkward, there's a bunch of kind of funny and fun, you know, ads and then your apps, your ad, them are going to be very generic, you know, the wrong color skin, the wrong language, the wrong tone, the wrong mute, every single thing in the ad might be wrong from nothing wrong, objectively speaking but subjectively for the audience, completely not speaking the right language. And so we also see a bunch of innovations there, companies that help bridge the gap, if it's through translation, through hiring. We, we invested in a company, actually, employing physicians 
in Latin America to close that gap, right? So those physicians are doctors like any doctor in the world, not less qualified than anybody. They happen to live in Mexico, right? And they are serving that population in the U.S. At the right moment, a U.S. physician is going to show up, close the loop, and write the prescription. But throughout the journey, that family that has been avoiding care because of this language barrier is getting the relevant care. And so there are ways to do it. It's not, it's, and, and I think arguably that's where the bigger ar- arbitrage is, right? because the gap is so in front of you, right? Versus like developing an AI for like the one extra percent of accuracy on detecting, uh, I don't know, two more in a random. That's kind of peak of tech, hard maybe to compete there, but there's like such a massive market that's untapped that it's probably easier target for you guys. Absolutely. Jonathan, I've really enjoyed having you on the program, and I wanted to ask you just one last question to leave it off with. Obviously, it's here in November of 2022. We're heading into 2023. What are some things we can expect from Samsung next into the new year? A bunch of new investments. We've, uh, despite the macroeconomic situation, our commitment to the entrepreneurial community hasn't changed. I think we've been running about seven or so deals a month. Not just in healthcare, to be to be honest, we it's one of six focus areas of us. So about six of our investments are in healthcare. So don't expect that to change. So if I had to guess, next year another 15 new investments or so in healthcare. Um, probably will skew a little bit earlier stage. I have a feeling because of the market situation. It sounds like the good companies are avoiding fundraising at this point and. Objectively speaking, entrepreneurs that decide to start a new company during these times probably tells a lot about them. And so I think we look forward to, to do a few new investments in, in new companies. And I would say so far I, we haven't pulled the trigger. I can think in the past couple of years on an infrastructure play and definitely expect us to make one or two bets on the digital health stack those layers that are crucial for our devices to be able to to be a better partner for digital health startups. Excellent. Well, we look forward to seeing what happens in the future. And again, I appreciate you being on the podcast. Hopefully we can have you on again. Let's do it again. Awesome. If you like this episode, please give it a thumbs up. Better yet, subscribe on your podcasting platform of choice and help others discover the show. The MMNM Podcast is produced by Bill Fitzpatrick, Deborah Stahl, Bradley Weems, and Gordon Failer. Our theme music is by Sizzy M. Sohn. We're out every week. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time.